Coming up next, probably the greatest thing ever done on the bookening, or should I say the spookening, Howard Phillips Lovecraft's immortal chiller, The Outsider. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the spookening, the scariest podcast of them all, or should I say, podgastly, the ghastly effect of horror as we read the scariest of stories in this special spooktacular horrific week of scariness. And this is actually Halloween. This is actually Halloween. Is this Halloween today? This is, yeah, yeah, the 31st. That's right. Halloween. Kids will be getting candy with razor blades in it <laughs> and other such spooky things. I feel like the mysterious things. phantom needs to show up. Does this mysterious phantom need to show up? He might before the before no, all said and done. Oh no, he was dead. <laughs> you never know. I think he had like a roof fall on him last time or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I really don't remember. I don't either. It's not like I was here for it anyway. Brandon, of course, you are the... We, uh, this is day four, and we've been going a yeah. little insane, but you are the... Uh-huh. Uh, I'm your I'm your humble and obedient ghost, I should yeah. say, first of all. And you are the scholar... No, the mauler who's a... The scholar who's a mauler of bleeding. Yeah. That's what you are. Brandon Chastfiend. The squalor. The squalor. Like <laughs> urban decay. <laughs> Pretty spooky. Ah, it's real scary. Yeah, it's scary stuff. I'm a ghost Brandon, too. I'm you are ghost also Brandon. ghost Brandon. That's right. And speaking of ghost Brandon, we have his comrade in arms, none other than Beastmaster Funky Town himself. Jake Menskiller, the pastor who's a master of feeding on flesh. Changed it up. What do you think? You like that? You, you feeling it? Not really. Not really? You want to go back to Pastor Who's a Master of Bleeding? Whatever. Like you've been it's, complaining it's in this, no, in this series about kind of the passivity of bleeding, like you're just bleeding out or something. <laughs> so I wanted to give you something a little bit more diabolical and active and proactive. You're feeding on flesh yeah. like a zombie or a vampire. Do you want that? Sure. All right. He's the pastor who's a master of feeding on flesh. Good. People like it so much when I say that phrase. Now. Flesh is just such a nice word. Flesh is a wonderful mm, word. Flesh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> flesh. Moist flesh. Oh, oh boy. How, uh, his nails on a chalkboard. That is no, <laughs> nails, on a, nails on a chalkboard. All right. No more uses of the word flesh in this story. But and, and by the way, speaking of flesh, not a lot of flesh on this character. <laughs> no man, <laughs> he's all bones. He's all bones. Dried flesh, maybe. Yeah, dried. It's not moist. That's for sure. <laughs> that, no, no, no. This is this is like the most unmoist flesh you could hope to encounter. But seemed like a nice enough guy. He did seem like a nice guy <laughs> stuck in that castle. Yeah. <laughs> Underneath a graveyard somewhere. <laughs> he was able to kind of write. He was, he was able to kind of write. I mean, it, it's about the quality you would expect from someone who was trapped in a castle for years and that's absolutely partly right. dead. And you know who else was partly dead and could barely write? Howard Phillips Lovecraft. <laughs> well, <laughs> nice transition, Nathan. <laughs> a very sickly man and a very bad writer, but very in flu. And I'm going to provide context on this one. Brandon, is that okay with That's you? That's fine with me, Nathan. Because I am a fan of weird fiction, and Howard Phillips Lovecraft is the prince of 
weird fiction. He invented weird fiction. I think he may have coined the term weird fiction. So Lovecraft, born in 1890, lived until 1937, 47 years young when he died. Now, I'm not going to get into a bunch of stuff about Lovecraft. This is just going to be a quickie. I think we'll actually come back to Lovecraft because this is not the best example of his work. It's not really a representative example of what's good about Lovecraft or at least what people like about Lovecraft at all. I thought that this one would be a better story for us to do as a standalone because it kind of works as a standalone, whereas a lot of his other stories, you kind of have to get into the whole Lovecraft mythos to understand. But this is a very atypical Lovecraft story. Anyway, who was Lovecraft? He was a misanthropic jerk (laughs) who lived out his life on a meager inheritance and thought that he could be a writer. That's basically all you need to know about him. There we go. He submitted stories to magazines such as Weird Tales, the pulp magazines of the time, which we've talked about, I think, in our Ray Bradbury episodes. Brandon talked Mm -hmm. to us about uh, pulp magazines. And none of this stuff would be remembered. He had he had no popularity at his time, except for as a random name that you might come across in a junkie magazine. The only reason he's remembered is because of a couple of disciples of his that thought his stuff was cool. Specifically, one is pretty famous in the weird fiction universe called August Derleth, who took Lovecraft's stuff, synthesized it, republished it. He was basically an acolyte who just made sure that the world he his his, his he lived his life to spread lovecraft stuff because it really meant something to him so he compiled it published some book forms i don't think it was actually collected into a book while lovecraft was alive but the thing that you really need to understand about lovecraft is something that doesn't come across very well in this story which is his influence what he actually did i was reading this article about a german band named Kraftwerk. have you guys ever heard of Kraftwerk? yep brandon no. If it's German, yeah, it's Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk? Werk. Werk. Kraftwerk. Have you ever heard Kraftwerk? Uh, maybe. maybe. But you couldn't, like, no. hum a tune. No. So this article was making the case, I think it was in Rolling Stone or something like that, that this is the most influential band far and away since the Beatles, that in fact all music that you listen to today, all popular music, that is, is influenced by Kraftwerk. They invented synthetic beats, and they invented synthetic ry- rhythm sections. Like huh. Some people had used synths before, but they were the people who just out of nowhere said, we can use synthesizers. And now you listen to any pop song, you listen to indie rock, you listen to anything. Like anything you like, it makes use of synthesizers. These people are basically responsible for hip-hop in a lot of ways. Their, hip- their beats are sampled in hip-hop quite a bit. Dr. Dre, people like that have said, you know, we wouldn't be able to do what we do if not for these guys. So they're like the thing that you haven't actually listened to, but they influenced everything. You know, one of those things, kind of like everybody's heard of Elvis, but do they know the blues and rhythm black people that Elvis stole from? Lovecraft is that for horror fiction. The entire 20th century of horror fiction is just riffing on what Lovecraft did. Stephen King, the Alien movies you name it, it's influenced by Lovecraft. And his devotees think he's pretty cool, but he's really, I think, probably best known to the the outsider. Get it? Just I as, got that. Just as somebody who... I didn't. Somebody who influenced everybody else. Cthulhu. Yeah, he came up with Cthulhu, and Cthulhu is this big squid god that's living under the water, and one day he's going to rise. 
it's going to be very bad. He's become s- something of a symbol for like nerd culture, right? Oh yeah, Cthulhu? absolutely. Well, he's just. I think every the internet is one of those. The internet has brought together all the people who thought they were the only person who knew who Lovecraft was, and it turns out that there's a lot of us. You all it, crawled out of your castles at the same time, mm-hmm. and now you worship at the pyramids together, right? Yeah. Well, so that last part where he's worshiping at the pyramids—that's kind of quintessentially Lovecraft. The idea that there's these dark things that are going on that he can join up with. That's pretty Lovecraft. The idea of a corpse guy living in a graveyard is pretty cheesy, actually, compared to what Lovecraft would usually do. Because what he did really well was cosmic deities like Cthulhu. You know, the idea, he, his, his innovation was basically the universe doesn't care and there's a bunch of monsters out there and they aren't like Dracula or Frankenstein. There's nothing human about them. There's nothing religious about them. They're, they're not perversions of of things that come from folklore or if, if 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 they are related to folklore it's the the monsters and the gods and the greek myths you know they're just other a good example of something that's in the lineage of lovecraft would actually be that the the original alien movie right the astronauts just stumble across a creature and this creature is more powerful than them and it simply exists to feed on them and it's just this it's just this other thing it's just so just the idea of outside entities that's his big contribution and everybody from Stephen King to all the greats, Brandon, they've riffed on it. So that's Lovecraft. And somebody sent us an email asking us to talk about Lovecraft. So here we go. Here we go. We will read, uh, one day we will read The Call of Cthulhu or maybe at the Mountains of Madness, which are much more in line with everything I've been talking about. This is an early Lovecraft story. It's kind of cheesy. Lovecraft really liked this guy named Lord Dunsany. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. He's like a fantasy writer from, I think, the Victorian era. And he was a, both he and Edgar Allan Poe, who were big influences on Lovecraft, were really verbose arch overwriters. And you can tell that Lovecraft kind of fell in love with that. And he got better as he went on. But this is an early one. And he is really reaching for that ornate style you know he probably read the mask of the red death right before he wrote this thing and <laughs> thought i'm gonna i'm gonna do you one better poe and so boy was he he wasn't reaching he was running through those fields he was he was running through those fields well jake i promised last week that you would read this the last first week wow. yesterday yesterday that you would read the first sentence of this bad boy <clears throat> yes <clears throat> unhappy is he to whom the memories of childhood bring only fear and sadness we need a little bit more. Wretched is he who looks back upon lone hours in vast and dismal chambers with brown hangings and maddening rows of antique books or upon odd <laughs> watch. <laughs> I mean, or, yeah. Or upon odd watches in twilight groves of grotesque, gigantic, and vine-encumbered trees that silently wave <laughs> twisted branches far aloft. Yeah, that's such a lot the gods gave to me. Well, you know, all the people, to me, all those people, the are dazed, yeah, the admit. disappointed, <laughs> the barren, the broken, the barren. And yet I am strangely content and cling desperately to those, <laughs> sere, <clears throat> and cling desperately to those sere memories when my mind momentarily threatens to reach beyond to the other. That's fantastic. That's I mean, doesn't that just capture the experience of every one of us? I, yeah. I remember now reading this and thinking about somebody that we used to make fun of. <laughs> that Wretched. line in particular, that whole 
It's amazing. He lost me at that point because, <laughs> I mean, sure, unhappy childhood. People are wretched if they have, if they can look back at it. But as soon as he started saying wretched are those with like the brown papers and all that, I'm like, <laughs> and the vines reaching. Yeah. <laughs> wretched is what? he who looks back upon lone hours in vast and dismal chambers with brown hangings and maddening rows of antique books. That doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> or upon odd watches in twilight groves of grotesque, gigantic, and vine-encumbered trees that silently wave twisted branches <laughs> far aloft. Yeah, there's nothing I hate worse than... <laughs> what? <laughs> Looking on enchanted groves of vine-encumbered <laughs> trees that wave. I can't even recreate one of those things for jest. Oh, boy. Poor guy. I mean, all I those antique books and trees. I know not where I was born. Well, another big influence of Lovecraft, it was actually Mr. Blackwood, who we'll talk about tomorrow. And I think Black- Blackwood was better. But yes, Blackwood was better. But uh, at, least at least the Willows. At least the Willows. Yeah. Well, and I've read some of his other stuff, and I think it's some of it's pretty good. But yeah. let's talk about this story, The Outsider. All right. So spooky. Let's just, it's, for people who haven't bothered reading it, we should just tell people what happens in this story. So there's okay. this guy. And he's in this dismal castle thing, right? Yeah, with yeah, with enchanted dank walls and a stank to the whole place, like corpses, cobwebs everywhere, and everywhere you look, there are cobwebs, but lots of antique books. And he, he finds in- it. He finds himself, you know, to not really be repulsed by the skeletons and things in the crypts, and he thinks that's weird. Yeah, well, that's pretty weird. Yeah, he's not repulsed by them. He finds a lot of time to read. And in his reading, he becomes enchanted by the idea of seeing light mm. because he's never seen light before. Nope. The moon and the stars. And mm-hmm. so there's this one tower that reaches up, but the stairway runs into the wall, but it keeps going up. And so one day he decides to climb it mm-hmm. and he climbs and then he bumps his head against the floor. Now, push. Our listeners are probably really scared, Brandon. I hope, yeah. I hope it's going to be okay. Uh, just hang on, readers or <laughs> okay. listeners. I hope it's not. And so he pushes right. like the stone up a little bit and manages to get into this area that um, it's like a big chamber. Mm-hmm. And he runs to a window, hoping that he will see what he's been longing to see his whole life, which is light. Mm-hmm. And he sees the moon. Yeah. And the moon sees me. Mm-hmm. And But he looks out and it's not what he's expecting, though, because he's expecting to see the tops of trees. What he sees instead is the ground. Mm. And... Bum, bum, bum. Gravestones. Oh, my. So he climbs out of his window, goes through this graveyard. He sees it's a chat little okay, listeners. He sees a chapel. But then in front of him, he also sees a castle. <laughs> and there's something strangely familiar about this castle. Mm-hmm. He goes towards it. Climb, he sees all these merry revelers. It's just a story. Climbs through the window, and they all start screaming. And they run, and they panic, and people are picking each other up in their panic and getting everybody out of there. And then- He's like, I wonder why they did that. He's like, he's so scared. He doesn't know if he's going to turn around to look at whatever it might be that scared all of them. (laughs) And then suddenly, he sees it. Yeah. And he tries to escape, but then he like trips and falls forward, and his hand touches. I think we should have Jake read us the sentence. This I have known ever since I stretched out my fingers the abomination within that great gilded frame. Stretched out my fingers and touched a cold and unyielding surface of polished glass. No! No! It was a reflection! Those! Wow. The gilded arch was a mirror. Oh! Oh, I love it when they have this spell it out. 
It's always so fun. Well, and by the way, Jake read that properly because the thing about the glass is all <laughs> in, in like, italics. The italics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, polished glass. glass. Oh. No! <laughs> <laughs> Listen, in Lovecraft's defense, he wrote this for a pulp magazine. He had no dreams of posterity. I mean, this was like a... They'll pay me a, a penny per two words or something, which you can definitely tell they were paying per the word the way he yeah. wrote this thing. Apparently, it was better than a lot of the other stuff because it's, it's uh, what's the word? It's, what's the phrase? It's Lasted. endured. It's endured. It's stood the test of time. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. And people still read this stuff Those and I like it. Words. And I've, I've read some of the, you know, I've read like old weird tales just to see what it's like. And actually, you can tell when you look, when you look at the context that, Here's a guy who's doing something interesting where a lot of people are just hacks. He was trying and he was being interesting, but he also <laughs> was just not a good uh, writer at all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> he, he was really bad. <laughs> Polished glass. <laughs> it's like the kind of thing that we made fun of uh, a couple of times with oh. it, with our narrator on the bill yeah, yeah yeah just um a pit a pit into never-ending nightmare yeah, exactly exactly yeah. yeah 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 i don't remember exactly what it was but something like that yeah just the oh the horrors of it all well what else do you guys want to say about the outsider if are unfortunately you... i did not read this with my students so i have no <laughs> insightful comments to make about whatever this and then i have nothing to riff on or yeah and pretend like i have something to say but you know it kind of isn't in, in sock it, it to show you that Saki is a different class of writer, mm-hmm. at least there was something to say about the Saki story. This, yeah. I mean, what are you going to say about this? <laughs> I've been thinking about this since Mask of the Red Death. It, it is easy to make fun of the overwrought language and everything, and I get it. And uh, I pretended to be more offended at that than I actually was. Or maybe oh, I. it's also possible that I played up the offense so that you guys wouldn't know how truly offended I was. That was more of what I was expecting was happening. But we'll never know. It's ambiguous. <laughs> it's like the ending of Shredney Vashtar. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing I was going to say. Horror is about atmospherics, right? It's about setting the stage and making it spooky. And so you can't blame a guy for trying. I'm not going to say that what Lovecraft or Poe did really holds up t- for t- today. But they are trying to create a spooky atmosphere. And they when are you're tr- writing a short story. A lot of that's striking the right tone. Yeah, and that depends on as much as anything, maybe having a willing audience. Yeah, and fourteen-year-old boys that are like me that encounter the outsider and or or the Mask of the Red Death. My fear bone was ready to be tickled, and I had one. You know, and I was I thought it was cool and interesting, and you're like, oh wow. I, I might walk across a graveyard any time and not realize that below are whole other worlds of Google. entities living in castles and, I don't know, fired the old imagination. Uh-huh. And then the thing you can say about The Mask of Red Death, I'm just going to try and mount a genuine defense here. The thing that you can say about both The Mask of the Red Death and this is that they're both supposed to be oppressive, actually. And so all the language that's piled on that feels oppressive and stupid and stilted and stultifying. Might we argue that it's in fact hitting the mark guys, that it's doing exactly what it's intended to do. And maybe the author had a little bit more intentionality than we give him credit for. And wasn't just being an idiot that liked to pile adjectives on top of each other. What was that one book that we read by that one guy who was writing in this really immature first person narrative style and 
on the one hand, it'd be like, well, yeah, that would be how a stupid, immature person would write. But on the other hand, I don't think you did it on purpose. Ready Player One? Yeah. I think that was it. I wonder if you couldn't argue, though, that Edgar Allan Poe, at least, had more control over exactly how far over the top he was going than... And Certainly, that, if you read his essays on composition, sure did, so did J.D. Salinger. Well, I, as we might recall, like you JD defend Sal- J.D. Salinger. Defend yeah. J.D. Salinger too. I mean, it doesn't make it worth reading. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So, sure, maybe Edgar Allan Poe liked the sort of weird, musty, purple gloom mm-hmm. that resonates throughout his stories. But then it doesn't mean that it's worth it. Even though he has control over it, it doesn't mean that the big Gothic organs. And the Phantom of the Opera aura to everything is really anything that anyone should want to participate in. But if somebody does... Uh, I really like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, guys. There might be something unhealthy to that. <laughs> <laughs> and there are idiots. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually, I'm literally about to... So today in class, Edgar Allan Poe came up mm-hmm. and I said, I really don't like that guy. And then I had a student who really took offense to that. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, do you want to argue this out? And so tomorrow we're going to be reading a Poe story. Mm. And then we're going to fight. What are you going to read? I'm not sure yet. What should we read? The Mask. Should we read The Mask? <laughs> Telltale. Yeah, Telltale. It left heart. an impression on all of us. Yeah. It's the best yeah. way to give Poe the best a, chance. Yeah, to give Poe a chance and to throw a bone to your poor student who you're going to tear to shreds. I think that's true. Yeah, because he said, oh, you just, <laughs> it was sad. He said, oh, you just like winning arguments, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that I would say about Poe uh, this is the same argument I made uh, two minutes ago, but I'll make it again. Somebody like Ready Player One guy, what's his name? I want to say Ernest Salinger, but that's Klein. Not right. Ernest Klein. He is bad. He is trying to do things and failing. Uh-huh. I would say we could at least give Poe this. Poe is succeeding at being exactly the Poe that he wants to be. You can say that that's trash. Well, yeah, if you're doing you a comparison like contrast between Poe and who's this guy? Uh, Salinger. No, the Klein, guy with Klein. ironic. No, no, this guy with an ironic name. Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> he doesn't love craft. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Lovecraft, I think, is more like a Klein mm-hmm. in that he wanted to do something, but he just lacked the talent. Yeah, it's that second sentence that Jake read. It's it's laugh. It's it's risable. To, yeah. To use a word. While Poe, that was the aesthetic he was going for. He achieved and precisely the effect he wanted. Yeah, and it makes me not like Poe really. Right, but it's because you like. It's not because you fault his execution. It's because you don't like the thing that he's aiming at. Yeah, it's because I don't think what he's aiming for is healthy. And I disagree. I think that in small doses it can be fine. Just like you can watch a Twilight (laughs) Zone and not, or you know, watch an Alfred Hitchcock movie and not become a psycho. Yeah, there's a little room for some spooky fun around Halloween time. I think that's that's what I would say to that. I mean, we're doing these episodes, aren't we? We are doing these episodes. Yeah. (laughs) Anything else to say about Lovecraft? I'm sorry. I, I, I bet there's at least four or five Lovecraft fans listening right now. I'm sorry we didn't do your hero justice. I like him too, but I don't. I think this one is pretty cheesy. One day I'll get the fellas to like, or no, I won't get them to like, but I'll get them to read The Call of Cthulhu or At the Mountains of Madness. And we'll I want to read talk. a Cthulhu story. That yeah, that's fun. probably what we should have done. I don't remember what I was thinking when I decided to do The Outsider. It's short. Yeah, it's short. And we had to do five of these. And Lovecraft is master, and we'd get a lot of interesting, fun contacts out of it. Yep. We already had our long one with the Willows. We did, which we will talk about tomorrow. And let's get there another day, as young Annie told us. The only way to get to tomorrow, though, is to do a few more 
donor shoutouts. People will remember we are shouting out the donors over the course of the week. So let's sh- scream out Benny and Dana. Die. Fearbius. Die. And let's scream out Skerrick and Catherine from Yawn Window Breaks. And of course, Pro Death Sore and Lady XX. Pro Death Sore and Lady X. And ah! of course, Lavender's Scream, Dylan Dylan. Ah! Whoa, that woke me up. And Noah Constrictor is already scary enough, I guess. Noah Constrictor is already scary enough, I guess. Ah! And Scaracheep. Oh! <laughs> and Natalie with a battery of Kung Fu disaster What Nathan said. Ah! And the scare <laughs> and fragrant Maiden Scully. And Mulder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I'm sorry, guys. I choose to believe. Yeah, he does. He did that, Mulder. (laughs) Scully, not so much. Guys, I'm sorry. The Halloween puns weren't really tripping off my tongue today. I know our listeners are disappointed, and I feel bad. It's fine, Nathan. You can support The Bookening at patreon.com forward slash The Bookening now today is halloween so we've either got our thousand dollars a month or not and we will either be marching around the courthouse or not by the way you should still get us to a thousand dollars by next year so that we can make a year out of tolkien tolk scream (laughs) there we go brandon's bringing up the rear what better note to go out on than that (laughs) not with a whimper but a bang yeah